0: To the state of
1: Florida sports podcast presented by the USA Today Network here's your host Tim Walters which would you rather be the team that no one expects or the team that people put on a pedestal heading into the 2022 season the Jacksonville Jaguars had low expectations Coming off an embarrassing 2021 season, everyone acknowledged Doug Peterson had an uphill battle heading into his first year as the team's head coach. Then, about midway through the season, something clicked. The 3-7 Jaguars figured things out, went 6-1 down the stretch, and won the AFC South. They followed up with a dramatic first-round playoff win against the Los Angeles Chargers. Heading into the 2023 season, things are different. The Jaguars are favorites to win the AFC South, while some betting sites have them in the top 10 of betting favorites to win the Super Bowl. Are these expectations realistic, or will the Jaguars return to being the hard-luck franchise that they've been for 10 out of the past 12 seasons? To help us break down the team as training camp rolls on, I welcome back Demetrius Harvey, Jaguars beat writer for the Florida Times Union in Jacksonville. Demetrius went along for a wild ride with the Jaguars last season, and he's been rolling alongside them as they begin their quest for another conference title in 2023. He'll join us in just a moment to share his expertise. Hello again, everybody. I'm Tim Walters, and thank you once again for joining me on the State of Florida Sports Podcast, powered by the USA Today Network. This podcast utilizes our Florida Sports Network of beat writers, columnists, and some special guests to bring up to speed on the most important sports topics. Our Florida Network consists of 17 news sites that encompass the state. We encourage you to subscribe to your hometown newspaper and, of course, this podcast to help support the incredible journalism done by our talented staffs. Let's bring in Demetrius Harvey to tell us what he's been seeing from the Jaguars since they reported to camp last week. Demetrius, welcome back to the podcast. It's good to be back. All right. Well, here we are in Jacksonville. I actually get to join you for camp for a few days, and so we're watching the team get together, and there's all sorts of things that we could be talking about, but here's where I want to start today. And that's looking at the changes of this team from last year to this year. So they have a good portion of their starters coming back, and they didn't make too many moves in free agency. So, who are some of the new faces we'll be seeing on the field as we head into the new season?
0: Yeah, I think that, you know, one of the most popular players, obviously, is, is Calvin Ridley. You know, he's not necessarily brand new because they traded for him before the trade deadline last year, but, you know, he's new enough to where everyone's going to be excited about him. He, he's a guy that. Can, you know, change an offense from, you know, maybe they were top 10 last year. Now now they can take the next step, go to top five, you know, things like that. So he's one of the, you know, top wide receivers in the league or was back in the day. So now he's here in Jacksonville with Trevor Lawrence. Um, That's one guy that's going to be there. And then obviously they have their, their rookie class, you know, Anton Harrison's now replacing Jawan Taylor. He's a, he's a guy that everybody's going to have their eyes on moving forward. Can he actually have that same production that Jawan was able to have while he was with Jacksonville? So, you know, guys like that and, and, and pretty much all rookies, you know, this team, they, they wanted to go into free agency, bring back their guys. Don't do much in the off seasons in terms of spending money and, you know, this is what they got. So, you know, it's pretty much the same guys as last year, but, you know, with a couple new additions.
1: Yeah, you know, I was going to get to wide receivers later on, but since you started off with Calvin Ridley, let's let's go with that group first. You know, we were watching them out of practice this morning, and I was saying to you earlier that, you know, one of the things that stood out to me, you have Calvin Ridley, who's this, you know, wonderful physical specimen. You have Christian Kirk, who's not the tallest guy, but he's super speedy. He's really adept. And then you have Zay Jones, who I was actually surprised physically at how big Zay is, and then, you know, add on, you, you've you re-signed tight end Evan Ingram. How is everybody going to fit into this offense? And we're going to get into running backs here in a little bit, too, where that room is stacked. But let's start with receivers. How's everybody going to
0: get fed, especially with Ridley saying, I'm going to get 1,400 yards? That's the excitement, I guess, for, for, you know, a lot of observers. You know, you're, you're thinking— who is going to actually be the number one guy? A lot of people look at it in terms of fantasy football, of course, and, and that's sort of the the key here. Who's going to be the guy who's targeted the most? Calvin seems like the most obvious answer, but he's still new to the offense, and Christian Kirk was just leading the team in targets last year. So when you, when you look at it that way, obviously people's numbers are going to go down. Perhaps Zay's will go down a little bit more because now Calvin's in there to take those snaps. But it's going to still be explosive, and I think that nowadays – uh, since it's a passing first offense, you can honestly just keep improving. You know, I think Trevor Lawrence had 4,100 passing yards. He could easily have 4,500 this year with a new addition. So, yeah, there's a lot to go around. Evan Ingram's back, and, and there's a lot to, to to sort of spread the ball around. But, you know, I think that they have a right plan in that, you know, they just bring in weapons for this young quarterback who they think is going to be the franchise guy for years to come and and let him cook, basically. <laughs> yeah, I mean, when I look at that group, here's kind of how I see it. You know, Ridley, he's
1: big playability, obviously, downfield. Zay Jones seems to be the guy when it's fourth and 12 and you have to get the first down. They're going to him because he seems unstoppable. But I still see... Christian Kirk is probably being the one that will lead the way based on speed being in the
0: slot coming across the field so how do you how do you see that going? Yeah, I think that that's pretty much what it's going to be. I think that Christian's going to play inside in the slot, and that's that's where he played last year primarily and then you'll have Calvin Ridley outside along with Zay Jones outside, and you sort of go from there. Zay Jones to me takes that Marvin Jones role where last year Marvin was catching, you know, those third and fives, the ones that they had to convert they, he was catching those ones. So I think that Zay at this point in his career is going to sort of transition to that, but he also can, you know, uh, take the top off of the defense too. And with, with that speed, you know, they're all fast, they're all physical. Uh, Zay's a little bigger, as you mentioned, than, than all the rest, but you know, he's, he's still a guy that can be nimble too. So it's going to be interesting to see. I, I know that they like Christian in the slot, they like Calvin outside as as a deep threat, and they like Zay outside. So that that sort of settled and it's gonna be really exciting to watch.
1: Yeah, now obviously some of the success for those guys is gonna be contingent on what type of time Trevor is getting. So before we talk about Trevor Lawrence, we'll wanna talk about the offense because yeah, uh, you know, Zay Jones, Calvin Ridley, they're gonna be your big play guys if he has time to throw it deep. If he's got to get it out quick, then yeah, you're going to see Christian Kirk a lot. You've got Cam Robinson, who's their big money offensive lineman. He's suspended for four games. You've got Ben Barch. He's injured. Anton Harrison was their first round pick, but what was he? 27th overall, I believe. Mm-hmm. He was Yeah, so you've got a lot going on with that offensive line. So let's talk about the type of protection, who we're looking at to fill in those gaps, and who may be a guy because, you know, they got a guy in the seventh round who's right from here in the Jacksonville area. Cooper Hodges. And, yeah, and seventh rounders don't often make the team but he might so talk about all of the all of that situation
0: yeah it's gonna be interesting i think that the biggest thing obviously is cam missing four games i think that you know they they've known about it for a while. They knew it was coming. It just took the league a little bit long to uh, actually make it official. But he's going to miss those four games, and I think they have a good plan with with Walker Little coming in. Uh, you know he was a second round pick a couple years ago. He came in for Cam Robinson last year when he when he initially hurt his knee against the Cowboys, and and you know he played well. So I, I think that it's a situation where. Um, you know, they feel confident that Walker is going to be able to take that left tackle spot for at least the first four games moving after that. Who knows what will happen? Um, at left guard, it's going to be interesting too. Ben Barch, like you said, he's going to miss at least, you know, most of training camp, if not all of it, you know, that's what they said. He's going to miss the first few weeks of training camp. Um, where will he be? He dislocated his knee um in week five last year and still isn't fully capable to to come back so are they going to use tyler shatley i think that that's something that they've been doing you know now and that's what they did last year but you know will ben Barch be able to take that next step too to come back and improve the offensive line even more um you know at center luke fortner going back you know his, this is gonna be his his second year apparently he's stronger i guess we'll find out about that this week with pads on um but you know it, it, it's a situation where um, he's obviously going to take some sort of step up just because that's, that's what happens with centers. You know, they they end up figuring the offense out more. They know what, what the calls are, everything like that. Brandon Sheriff at right guard, same situation. You know, he's a vet. He's a guy who was a former all-pro player, pro bowler, five-time pro bowler. Um, there should be no questions early about him. And then that right tackle spot. Like you said, Anton Harrison, he's coming in fresh, a rookie, he's going to have to protect for Trevor Lawrence. they're going to expect him to be Jawan. It's actually funny Cam Robinson was talking to us and said that um, Anton reminded him a lot of Jawan, so you know it's it's interesting to see that comparisons already being made by the players themselves, um, so you know he's an athletic guy, and I think that right now that's sort of where they're at. Uh, I think that the depth of this team in terms of the offensive line is going to be the biggest question, especially with Ben Barch. You know, they brought in Josh Wells. So um, that's where it's at right now. But, you know, moving forward, it seems like it's settled. Yeah, and now let's talk about Trevor Lawrence then, the guy who's
1: going to be standing behind all of these fellows, hoping for the time. And before we start talking about him, you know, Christian Kirk was asked about the difference between Trevor Lawrence last year going into year two and now going into year three. So let me play this sound bite from Christian Kirk, and then we'll talk about it.
0: The light switches on. Everything is just so quick. The way he's able to go through his reads and developing that, I think that's a big thing. Is you know maybe last year not being able to get to his third progression, now he's able to get to that, and that's a big thing of you know what we do. Is if the first and second read's not there, and he's able to get back to that third one, and you know maybe we're able to look at some things on film that we haven't taken advantage of. Um, he's really working at, it and he's working through. A lot of things that the defense is showing, the defense has done a great job of, you know, mixing up coverages and, you know, making sure that he's staying on his toes. And uh, I think he's doing a great job right now leading as a vocal leader. Um, but I think most importantly, just his progression and how he's able to get through
1: each read. So he says the light bulb has gone on for Trevor Lawrence.
0: Should the NFL be worried? I mean, I think so. I, it, it's fun to watch because, you know, you see all these teams around the league having franchise guys you know joe Joe burrow josh allen you know all these reporters get to cover them so i'm excited personally to cover a guy like trevor because he ascended so far it's night and day i don't even know if it's it's fair to compare 2021 trevor lawrence to 2022 trevor lawrence completely different people i don't even i don't think that he was in the league that year you know it was basically his rookie season so this year yeah the, the light has gone on and by and by that christian just means you know he owns the offense now he's the guy that's running the ship um You know, instead of the offensive coordinator telling him, hey, this is where this is going to go, he's telling other receivers, this is where you got to go, this is where you got to go. And I think that that's sort of the command you expect from a guy um, like Trevor, who's supposed to be this generational quarterback. Um, And I think that Doug Peterson has done a great job. I think that it's going to be exciting to see um, his next steps.
1: Yeah, I'm waiting for him to start calling out, Omaha! Omaha! Uh, maybe not, but you know, uh, we were talking about this, that, you know, Trevor, he gets the ball out of his hand pretty quickly. But again, last year they had Juwan Taylor who never missed a game as a starter and Cam Robinson was in most of the year till he got injured. So he did have more time. So we'll have to keep an eye on that. But one of the most interesting things I thought I saw, and I probably shouldn't play too much into Vegas, but Vegas knows more than we do. That's why they have billion dollar buildings as Don Mattingly once told me. So, Uh, You know, they have Trevor going backward this year. The betting line on him that I've seen is either 3,850 or 3,900 yards. He had over 4,100 yards last year. And going into the season, Vegas had him at 4,000. Any insight as to why that might be?
0: You no, know, honestly that's that's strange to me. <laughs> um I would think that maybe they're trying to account for a potential injury or maybe they are looking at that offensive line. A lot of outside attention I think recently we've seen where the Jaguars offensive line ranked 31st, you know, Press Taylor was asked about that earlier today, you know, they they've been wearing t-shirts saying 31st ranked offensive line sort of as a fun thing to do just to, you know, call them out a little bit subtly. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of people who are down on this offensive line, and I understand from a perspective of, you know, an outsider's perspective, you're losing your left tackle started, the right tackle's gone, you have a rookie, and then the center, you know, he he had his struggles last year, so I understand why the the downward, you know, um, talk about the line is there, but perhaps that's why you know maybe they don't expect Trevor to stay up as long as he could uh maybe they do expect a natural um regression, which is something that I wrote about today. you know maybe there's some something there, but for me i you know I don't bet but you know if I did, I would definitely take the over there.
1: Yeah, and, you know, the other thing that I, I you do have to notice is, are they going to try and run it even more? You know, they start off last year. You've got kind of split backs. Travis Etienne, who is even though second year, was truly a rookie. He didn't play his first year. James Robinson, their lead back, gets traded. Etienne comes in and then has a great year. Now you've got guys behind him. You bring in uh, Dearness Johnson. You've got Snoop Connor, who they drafted. And I got to tell you, I saw Tank Bigs me today. Holy cow. I see why they call him Tank. He kind of looks like if you've ever been down to Key West and they have that thing that's the southernmost point in the United States it looks like that with legs. I would not want to tackle that guy. So maybe there's going to be a lot more running than passing, but, you know, talk about the runners and could that be a reason why Trevor's numbers necessarily won't be as high, but it doesn't mean they won't be more successful.
0: Absolutely. I mean, th- that's, that's an easy way to, to generate yards and generate points nowadays is, you know, because everybody's turned away from the running game, the defenses have sort of thinned out. There's a, they're, they're a lot smaller. So now you can kind of Take it all the way back, full circle. Go to the running game again and get get those ten, fifteen yards a pop because it's a lot easier nowadays. So, absolutely, I think that guys like Travis, you know, they they have high expectations for him. They know that he's going to be able to take that next step as well. Um, Tank Bigsby, like you said, he's he's a beast. I mean, honestly, the guy is is huge. He was great at Auburn. Um, i kind of I was kind of surprised, not really too surprised, but surprised nonetheless that he fell to the third round. You know, he's a guy that I thought. Um, had potential to be one of the first running backs off the board you know at least in that second round range so you know they have the room now to where they probably feel comfortable rotating those guys Dearness Johnson is another guy they brought in from the Browns who had a really successful time a couple years ago when he had to come in for Nick Chubb so um, yeah they have a rotation now Uh, they brought back Jermichael Hasey so they have a four you know four hidden monster basically back there that they could deploy and I do think absolutely you know while they are going to be a pass first offense just that's just the nature of the game the nature of uh, Doug Peterson absolutely will they take more advantage of the running game that they do have i think so yeah and you know the last sprinkle of offense i'll
1: throw in there is the guy who returns kicks but who press taylor said if we lost wide receivers could step in and without missing a beat and that's Jamal Agnew so you know just talk about the importance of having a guy like that because last year he flipped field position in two or three
0: games that really meant victories for the jaguars late in the season too and you know he's he's a guy that he converted from cornerback to wide receiver only i think 3 or 4 years ago it, 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 he's been in the league only for 5 or 6 years i uh, I believe and he converted only a few years ago so he's just now getting his feet wet at this receiver position and he looks great you know he looks fantastic out there running routes um he looked good last year when he had his opportunities the opportunities weren't there as much because not only was he coming back from that hip injury that he suffered you know in 2021 but also you have Zay Jones you have Christian Kirk you have Marvin Jones you have Evan Ingram where does Jamal, you know, sort of fit in there? And I think that's, it's a similar situation this year, but at the same time, he's a year removed now from that rehab. He's a, another year within this system. They're going to put him in the game to make plays. You know, they they know they can get into rounds out of him. They can use him sort of as an extra running back, like we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, he's obviously going to flip the field for them as far as a punt returner, kick returner, things like that. Um, so yeah he's an all-purpose player and I think that they're really depending on him to be that fourth guy and also you know the guy that can come in on special teams and and make big plays
1: yeah and so last year they were a top 10 offense scoring roughly 24 points a game which is you know incredible but you have to look at the other side of the ball now so let's flip over to the defense because I think there's a lot more questions there uh, as far as you know just what we're going to get and You know, supposed to be the leader of this defense. He was very, you know, had a rough first half where he didn't really stand out. A lot better in the second half. But, of course, you had guys like Jenkins, Rayshon Jenkins, and other guys stepping in and winning games with interceptions and things like that. So, you know, let's first talk about um, the pass rush of the Jaguars because you did lose Arden Key to Tennessee. Uh, You've got Jared Allen, who comes into a contract year. Who else are we keeping an eye on? Who are they filling in holes with? And, and who's going to star also on that defense?
0: Yeah, I mean, besides besides Allen and, and, and Walker, you know, after that, it kind of drops off. Because you have Caleb on, chase on who was a first-round pick in 2020, but he's only had three sacks throughout the, his entire career. and He's been in Jacksonville now for three years. So um, you, would, you would expect him to have already played a bigger role. You would expect him to, to, to be a better player by now. But he just hasn't been able to put it all together, you know, at, at, at the same time time, I think the injuries have sort of held him back. And so that's why you haven't seen necessarily, you know, the 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 big time pass rusher that, that you would want. But, but I believe, you know, both Allen and Walker are going to improve. I think that going into year two for for Walker specifically um, is huge. He was very disruptive last year. You know, he only had three and a half sacks, but he was a guy who was able to come in and, and, and still start every single game, play the way that he played dominating against the run, provide some disruption. And I think that, you know, they're going to depend on him sort of taking that next step. They also have Roy Robertson Harris uh, coming back, you know, Devon Hamilton, they have a pretty new role for him as far as pass rushing goes. Foley Fadakasi is finally healthy. So they expect this defensive line to be much better, much more improved than last year. But yeah, you know, it's going to depend. It's Allen going to actually take that next step and, and, Get back to the ten sacks that he was able to get during his rookie year or is he always gonna be a seven, eight sack kind of guy? And I think that's the biggest question.
1: Yeah, and Trayvon Walker coming into his second year, you know, when you look at what he did at Georgia, he wasn't a big sack guy. He was a pressure guy, he was a motor guy. So I wasn't too surprised to see three and a half sacks, but you know, there are a lot of fans who are disappointed in that total, saying, you know, hey, you're the number one pick you know we want more out of you but if you pay attention to what he was in college he wasn't a sack master
0: no he wasn't and 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 i do get it you know from a fan perspective especially You're, you you want to see guys get 20 sacks you know a season doesn't matter how disruptive they were before that as long as they have that 20 in that in in, in the sack and and they're going to have uh, all pro pro bowl nods you know things of that nature They love it. You know, first round, first overall pick, he was being compared to um, Aiden Hutcherson, the second overall pick, each and every week. And Aiden had, you know, more success. I think he had nine or ten sacks last year. So um, it's a situation where it's like, wow, why is Trayvon, who went before this guy, not as productive? And I think that that's what people are keying in on. But if you watch it play-to-play, snap-to-snap, this guy does improve you. You know, if they didn't have – I always like to put it this way. If they didn't have Trayvon Walker for games against Derrick Henry – games against um, Damian Pierce late, you know, those kind of guys, you know, where would they be? Would they be in the same position? I I don't think so necessarily because they don't have that depth. They don't have a guy like him on the roster other than him. I think that's the biggest key is that he's such a unique player. You You have no real excuse other than to be excited. Yeah. And, you know, the other big part of this defense
1: is, you know, it's secondary, obviously they won the game against Dallas they won the the last game of the season against Tennessee. They were a big part of the comeback against the Chargers. So is it pretty much the same in the secondary there? Are there some new players back there? Who are we looking for there to uh, to be picking off some passes?
0: It's pretty much the same. So, I mean, obviously Shaq Griffin last year for the first, you know, I think six or seven games was there and, and he's no longer there. They They ended up cutting him. He just didn't really fit in terms of what they wanted to see out there. He's making a lot of money. You know, that's just the nature of the business kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, Darius Williams and 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 Tyson Campbell on the outside and, and Trey Herndon so far on the inside at nickel. They didn't really do anything in terms of upgrading in a serious way. They didn't draft a guy in the first or second round. They drafted a couple guys later. Um, they drafted Eric Hallett, I believe, in round six, um, as well as Christian Braswell in round six too. So, you know, those are two six-round picks who you you can't expect them to come in immediately and do something. You know, I think that you know, for for now they're going to be guys who are going to take a back seat, try to improve later. Um, but you know, there was one position they they did draft Antonio Johnson, who was from Texas A&M. He had accolades saying you know everyone was saying that he was going to go maybe in the second round, something like that. He ended up dropping to the fifth. Um, absolutely, I think that he could be a guy who can come in as a rookie and sort of make a bit of a difference there to sort of help out the defense, whether that's just as the safety down downhill safety or as the nickel, you know, that remains to be seen. But for now, he's a guy who can come in and do something. I think that that's what they wanted in both safety positions, Andre Sisco, Rayshon Jenkins, it's going to remain the same. So essentially it's the same secondary as last year, but just uh, more refined, I think. Yeah. So as far as
1: camp goes now, You know, uh, we're a couple of weeks in now, you know, they're going to be putting on the the pads and and hitting and, you know, but prior to that Monday, they didn't. But you saw some one on one matchups and people were going nuts with Ridley versus uh, Jenkins down there. And so just talk about some of the things you've seen in camp so far and who are some people maybe that, you know, maybe not considered people that are going to make the team. But I saw some guys I hadn't even heard of making great plays out there. So, so give us a little insight into camp.
0: Yeah, no, it's been exciting. I mean, obviously everybody knows about Calvin Ridley. That's that's the number one guy. He looks great. I mean, there's nothing more to be said. Trevor Lawrence, same thing. Um, but there are some some smaller guys like um, tight end Garrett Prince. I actually did a, a story on him a couple weeks ago um, before he you know took off during this camp camp phase, and, and he's looked good. You know, he caught three touchdowns I think so far during camp. Um, he's a guy that you wouldn't have expected last year because he was just sitting on the practice squad. You know, you wouldn't have expected him to do much. Um, but now, now this year he's, he's, he's a guy that's absolutely going to be in um, perhaps fighting for that fourth tight end position. I think that there, there's no doubt that, that he's somebody that they like. So um, he stood out. I, I think that guys within the secondary, there was, I forget what his name is, and it's it's going to drive me crazy. But there there was like there was a younger guy out there who had a, a couple interceptions today. Um, he 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 did a really good job, and and so you know it's it, it's all about kind of finding finding out whether or not these guys can play. I think that one thing training camp can definitely tell you is if a guy just can't play. Um, but you know it, it's harder to find those guys who are sort of diamonds in the rough. Um, you know it's it's gonna be exciting to see.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the cooler things that I saw today was, you know, that for the first time since 2019, fans are allowed out here to watch. So 2020 was the pandemic. 21, the pandemic. Last year, they're at a high school while they're building the Miller Electric Center. So I arrived for camp to this beautiful facility, you know, uh, great fields nice and open there's you know luckily they broke out the good weather for me today it was only about 80 degrees but you know um just just a, a top notch practice facility right adjacent to the Jaguars home stadium and having the crowd in there was pretty neat um there was one play and I'm going to play the sound here in a second but Trevor Lawrence broke back for a pass he threw it there was a pass interference the flag was thrown the catch was made and listen to what happens with the crowd on this play yeah. And so I just think that it's really cool. I mean, close to 2,000 people out there. So tell me how you've been experiencing the Miller Electric Center and how much better it's been because you've been through all of those different changes I just talked about.
0: Oh, my gosh. It's <laughs> it's completely different. I mean, honestly, I can go on and on. Um, like you said, you know, 2020, the pandemic, we were not there, basically. I mean, there. Were, I, I'm trying to remember, I think we did COVID tests every day, the interaction between the players um it was it it was very tough to actually do anything there was only a certain number of media allowed to even be there you had to be five feet apart etc etc so so it it was it was tough it it wasn't it wasn't anything fun you know very hard to have access or do any good stories in, in, in that year 2021 similar situation but a little bit more access but no fans um 2022 last year you know the high school. There were barely any fans there ever. So we we come this year and, and you and you you know get the tour of this beautiful facility. I mean it's it's state of the art. It's it's incredible. You walk in um, and you can go upstairs. We have a media room. You know, to for fans who who don't really know a little behind the scenes. You know, over the past couple years and you know last year especially, we had to hold our media room in the bowels of the stadium, essentially where you know the visiting locker rooms right there, and we're in this multi-purpose room that sometimes the ac didn't work and then we had to walk all the way around to actually get to the locker room and do all that i know i'm complaining and it sounds sounds bad but when you're in there every single day it gets a little rough and yeah, water was dripping on us Yeah, it was it, whenever it rained water started dripping so you know it's amazing to see i mean just even from a media standpoint this is incredible i mean we get our own room we have little places to, to plug in our our laptops, the the players in the and um, the coaches come to us now, which is completely different. We had to go to them every single time. So yeah, this is uh, fantastic from a meter perspective, but from a fan perspective too. You can tell they're just having a grand old time out there while we're down there sweating and everything, and and it's hot. You know, obviously today Tim didn't really have to endure that. <laughs> Maybe he will tomorrow, hopefully. Um, but um, you know, for the fans, they have the shade and they have the fans blowing. Um, I think it's four huge fans, probably bigger than some of our homes definitely mine so yeah, they look
1: like helicopter
0: blades <laughs> yeah, they really do and so it gives them a lot of good uh it gives them a, a big breeze and, and they don't have to endure all that sun um yeah so from from both of those perspectives it's amazing then obviously from the players perspective i mean they get a brand new weight room i was in there uh look state of the art i couldn't be in there because i don't know how to use most of that equipment not gonna <laughs> lie but it's it's really interesting they have an indoor uh, practice field they have rehab they have three different pools i mean it's fantastic. I think it would say they are. Uh, there was a conversation in the media room which NFL franchise had the best um, facility, and a lot of people said, you know, this is one of them, and then the Cowboys and the Vikings and guys like that. So it's it's been fantastic.
1: Yeah, I heard some of those very veteran guys, and that's cool to hear that you've got a top three facility. One of the things I found neat is along the hundred yards on the uh, wall where the players come out there's a door that leads to each position group. So you have your running back. You literally have a running back room. It's no longer a cliche. You literally have a tight end room. So I just thought that that was so cool to see different doors labeled for the positions and those guys kind of go to their own home. So, uh, so that, that, that's really cool. $60 million center just opened up a couple of weeks ago and definitely taking care of the fans, the media and the players. So, it's prediction time. We're a couple of weeks out before we get into preseason games. There will be three of them. And
0: then September 10th, I believe. Is it the 10th or the 11th? Um, I believe it's the 10th. I should probably know this, but um, it sounds like the 10th. We're about to find out. You know it's, it, it's interesting. I feel like every year I try to predict when a certain date is like Christmas, you know, last year, I think it was on a, a Sunday. Um, you know, this year, I guess it'll be on a Monday. So just forward so a, a, a day every year, but which, what day is it?
1: Yeah. So it is September 10th is the Sunday. So that is when the Jaguars will open on the road at the Colts. So yeah, let, let's let look at the wins and losses. It's easy to look at this schedule and you could probably say, yeah, this is a 12 win schedule. But teams always lose to people they shouldn't. And occasionally they beat a team that they should. So I am looking at I think ten and seven
0: would be fair. Where are you in that neighborhood? I think I predicted. So when the schedule first came out, I went through game by game. I want to say I predicted twelve and five, which sounds crazy, but that's about where I have them. And you know, uh, we can talk about it. But you know, them playing the NFC South, them playing the AFC South, that's that's going to be you know ten games there that they should win. You know, theoretically, because they were better than the teams last year. They did lose to the Texans last year, but at, at the same time. I feel like this team is also going to be improving while the Texans are so rebuilding. So, you know, that, that's sort of where I'm at with it in that I think they can get around 10 to 12 wins. I feel like that's fair. Um, anything above that's going to be tough. They play the bills, you know, they play the Ravens, they they play all these other good teams, the chiefs, obviously 49ers, yeah, the 49ers. So it's going to be a tough, it's going to be a tough schedule in that regard.
1: Yeah. Bengals on Monday night. They, they do have a really fun schedule and, uh, You know, one of the more fun things we did last year was our weekly predictions. So all of you fans come every Friday. We post our predictions prior to the games. And, uh, you know, I won last year, Demetrius. There were seven of us picking, and I won. So uh, You're going to bring it up. You you guys are coming for me,
0: aren't you? Yeah, we are. It, It was kind of frustrating near the end of it because, you know, I was predicting them to win. And, you know, every fan was happy about it because I was like, all right, they're going to win this week. They're going to win this week. They were winning. They went 2-1 and one to start the year, and then they just started losing. And then I flipped it. Once they started losing, I was like, all right, I'm going to predict them to lose now. And then they started winning. So I just couldn't win for losing last year.
1: now, well, and, you know, there was that point. I think I was 2-5, and five, and that's when I flipped the magic nickel two weeks in a row. I won 2 and got up to 4-5. and five. Then somehow I predicted the Dallas win, which was crazy, and the Ravens win. So uh, yeah, I mean I was I was going out on a limb, and I always make my picks before I get your guys. So it's not like I was saying, oh, can I pick and choose here? No, I'm I, I'm an honest person. At least I like to think I am. Um, but yeah, so it's gonna be fun. So you've got you know. 10 to 12, I think, is a fair mark, and anything below that, I, I do think, would be disappointing.
0: Absolutely. I, I think, you know, after last year, going 9 and 8, you know, that was a solid first season, obviously. But now, that was when the expectations were, you know, below the water. Nowadays, it's, the expectations are very high, sky high, and and I think below 10 wins would be a, a failure. And
1: here's a bonus question. We, you know, the Times Union sports staff had a nice lunch today where the six of us got together and we were talking about – prior head coaches and guys who were fiery and you know could maybe yell at the media a little bit but Doug Peterson he's one of the most even keeled guys have you ever seen Doug Peterson yell at anyone yell
0: mm, no definitely not yell I'm not in a media member um, the one the only time that I felt any kind of you know, disdain or something from Doug was when I think it was week five, they had just lost to the Texans. And, you know, you're talking to him about why they weren't running the ball. And you could tell he was kind of annoyed. He didn't want to answer that question. You know, I think that's natural. You know, once you lose, you don't really want to answer questions from the media anyway. Um, but yeah, he's never yelled. I think he's a very calm guy. He's pretty much the same guy every day, win or lose. And I think that's what the players love about him.
1: Yeah. And I think that's a big part of the success because, you know, coming off what they did before. Uh, He came along with Urban Meyer and, you know, obviously a well-documented disaster, but he came in with a calm head, looked around, settled everybody down. They start three and seven, win the division, and now everything's on the up. So, you know, it's important to have a guy not just because he won a Super Bowl, but because of how he runs things.
0: Yes, absolutely, and I think that's the biggest thing that you can take away from this training camp, especially you know last year too, but this year too, when where you can see how you know how well it's running. There's nobody confused about where to go. There's not very many procedural errors. I think that that's the biggest key to to him and and Doug is is that he's able to to run the ship the way he wants to and the players respect it enough to run it that way. So, you know, it's been great so far. First couple of years under Doug Peterson in the off season. We'll see how this year goes.
1: Alrighty. Well, we're just a little more than a month away from the beginning of the 2023 season. Is there anything else you want to get in front of the audience before I let you go?
0: Yeah, no, Uh, we, we have a lot of great stuff coming, obviously. Myself, Justin Lewis, Gene Furnett, Gary Smith. You know, we're down on the ground, writing every single day, you know, covering this team. And and we have a a lot of great stuff coming. And and I think that you guys uh, should expect that to continue forward. You know, next Tuesday, there's going to be full pads, and that's going to be exciting. You know, you actually want to see the offensive line, defensive line going up against each other. So, um, yeah, you can follow me at Demetrius82 on Twitter, and that's about it. Yeah, is it still called Twitter, or yeah. are they still tweets? Like, what are we doing there? Yeah, I don't know. Apparently, they want it to be Zeetz, like spelled with an X. I think that's how you would pronounce that. I don't know. I'm going to be calling it Twitter. Uh, that's that's my stance.
1: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, yes, we'll stick with Twitter. Elon, let, let's get this mess figured out. Huh? Uh, there's the one with Skeets. There's the Sky one. There's... I don't know, there's all sorts of crazy stuff can, can we just get this right and stop screwing with things and Give me my blue check mark back Come on, I want my check mark So Demetrius, I appreciate it uh, And again, you know uh, Your Twitter handle at jacksonville.com Is where you can find all our work for the Times Union And uh, of course it's always A pleasure and we'll be talking soon it's, uh, you know, In a couple of weeks when the season gets here Absolutely, I'm excited Alright, and that's going to do it for this episode of the State of Florida Sports Podcast I'm Tim Walters And to quote music legend David Bowie, I don't know where I'm going from here, but I promise it won't be boring. Boring is one thing he'd never be accused of. Me neither, I like to think. Thanks for listening and join me again next time.